Today, we're in the series called Boldly, and what we're doing is in the series, we're taking slices of boldness. And our thought is at the end of the series, you're going to know everything you want to know and more about boldness. Uh, And today, here's the question I want to answer. What stops us from being bold? What prevents us? Because I think all of us would like to see ourselves as bold people. All of us probably believe that there are things that are certainly worthy of being bold about. And yet, most of us would say, there are a lot of times where I don't lean in and I don't step up and I feel like I fall back. I really don't take the stand. And so we're going to talk about that and be real candid about it and Uh, We're going to all admit we're not as bold as we want to be, but hopefully after we're done here, we'll be a little bolder, and that will be a good thing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, put up your hands, because we have people that would love to give you a Bible. You're going to need a Bible. Uh, We are going to blitz through a story that is one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. So just keep your hands up, and then a Bible will come your way. And if you've memorized Acts chapter 5, you don't need a Bible. That's fine. We'll, uh, we'll mostly be in Acts chapter 5. Just keep your hands up. We'll get you a Bible. We got one down here, John. Yes, okay. There you go. All right. And uh, you're welcome, just incidentally, to bring your Bibles if you would like. And uh, that will be good, too. All right. Let me just catch us up. If you're here for the first time, as I said, we're in the series called Boldly. We are looking at the early church, which means we're studying the book of Acts. And uh, we learned that right out of the chute, a very bold message is given by a guy named Peter, and the church is launched. 3,000 people become Christians in one message. Amazing. Better than Billy Graham. Just an amazing thing. The church is birthed in uh, a city, Jerusalem, and uh, it's the first Christians that there are. The first Christ followers are now assembled. And then we read a little bit later that there came a point where there was some tension And uh, Peter and John in particular had gotten into some trouble and they had been a little overzealous. And when they come back to the apostles, rather than uh, sort of throttling it back, we see this amazing prayer that they give. And the prayer isn't for safety. The prayer isn't, you know, to attack God, take care of my enemies. It's this amazing prayer of make us more bold. Give us great boldness. And in fact... Uh, During that message, uh, we did hand motions. You'll remember the hand motions, right? Okay, and I'll make a deal with you. If you'll do the hand motions with me, I won't ask you to stand, okay? So remember, the first part of the hand motion is, we are in whose hands? We're in God's hands. And that's a huge part of this, is that we've got to believe that God's in control and that he is holding the situation. And then we don't pray for less boldness. We pray for great boldness. And finally, we've prayed, God, and then work out through me. Work out through me. Okay, not all of you are playing. That's fine. You know, your, your kids are not going to love you quite as much this week because you just didn't play with me right there. But here's one of the reasons, actually, that I did that. At our rooted group, one of the guys in our rooted group uh, said this week he encountered a problem and he started to pray. And actually, those hand motions came into his mind. He actually went through the hand motions And he said, it helped me to be more bold. So anyway, that's all for free. And then last week what we looked at is Satan takes his first shot at the church and he attacks the church with hypocrisy. 
He attacks the church with people who are pretending, and God, if you were here last week, takes a very strong stand against that. But also, he raises a guy named Barnabas, who turns out to be a very bold encourager. Somebody who is authentic, somebody who sacrifices for others, somebody who is humble, and he actually has a huge impact in the early church just because he is this bold encourager. And uh, this week, I heard another story about one of you, uh, and you didn't even know that I heard the story, but I've got, I've got spies all over the place watching you, paying attention. But one of you, uh, when you were talking to your boss this week, and uh, you were sort of talking about what your goals are for your job, you said, I want to be an encourager. That's what I want to be known for in this company. I want to be an encourager. And I just want to tell you, anytime I hear something like that, I am just so jazzed to be associated with you because it doesn't matter what we talk about in here, does it? It doesn't. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what we talk about. It matters what we do out there. It does. It just matters what we do out there. And every time I hear that you guys are doing it, I am so stoked. I am so proud to be part of this church. So anyway, okay, Acts chapter 5. You guys ready? Woo! You guys ready? All right, here we go. Here we go. Um, Now, here's the big thing. Uh, There is something that holds us back from really being as bold as we want. And you know what the number one thing that holds you back is? It is you. You hold yourself back, and I'll tell you why. Remember the famous line a few years ago as someone accepted an Academy Award You like me. You really like me. Do you remember that? Who said that? Sally Field, right? She was accepting the Academy Award for Best Actress, and she said, you like me. You really like me. And we're all like, you're so weird. Well, you know, that was was based on a presumption that she had that she was not liked or respected by that industry. And so she just sort of gushed out all over us. Well, this is the most interesting thing. A survey, not a survey, but a study, a series of studies I was reading about. A series of studies has been done. And do you know who are among the most liked people in our culture? This is going to surprise you. You. You are. Christians are. In fact, born-again Christians When they survey people that don't go to church, are not Christians, and they give them a list of people or occupations or, you know, groups of people, how much do you like these people? We come up near the top. And in fact, you know who's above just the born-again Christians, which this is shocking to me, are pastors, ministers. We're up, you know who we're just under? Officers in the military, I'm so proud, just under that. You know, that's my goal is to surpass them. But this is what's so interesting about that is if you ask you, if you were to ask most Christians, most church-going, born-again Christians, if they are liked by society or not liked, most of us would say we are not liked. We are not liked. We are not respected. We are prejudiced against. Uh, People have a hard time with us. And it's so interesting because we have this thought that we're not liked, and yet the truth of it is we are Sally Field. You like me. You really like me. Now, here's the reason that this is an important thing. When you don't feel liked and you're in a situation, does it tend to make you more bold or less bold? 
less, right? Uh, years ago, I dated this girl. Uh, before I was married to Julie, you'll be happy to know. I dated this girl, and her mom did not like me. And uh, the girlfriend made the mistake of telling me that her mom did not like me. And do you think that when I went over that it made me sort of more friendly and outgoing and part of the family? No. And so I, I, I was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I became you know, a recluse. I wanted to get out of there. I was short in my answers. And you know, when we think that people don't like us, we tend to shy back. And so the first bit of good news I've got to tell you is that you're liked. You're really liked. People like to hire you. People like to work for you. People like to marry your children. People like to marry you. People like to have you as neighbors. People like you. They respect you. They think, you know what? Maybe I don't believe what they believe, but I appreciate their convictions. They tend to be kinder than most. You are liked. And that should have something to do. That should amp us up a little bit on our boldness. Now, this all leads into the story that we're going to look at today. But I want to tell you that there's this really weird dynamic that goes around for those of us that are bold about Jesus. And I just want to call it the she loves me, she loves me not dynamic. Is that there's this sense where we are loved for being bold about Jesus and we are not loved for being bold about Jesus. So in Acts chapter 5, if you guys turn to verse 12, uh, this is not coming up on the screen, so you need it in your Bibles, again, unless you've memorized this, this portion. And it says this, that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That was just a place in the temple. No, now listen, here's the, they love me not. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Isn't that a weird statement? People were afraid of them. They wouldn't go around them. They shied back from them. But they were compelled by them, and so they sort of hung around, and they were sort of interested, and then a whole bunch of people were joining them. It was the she loves me, she loves me not syndrome. It was this idea of I don't know what to think about you, but there is something magnetic and something that repels me all at the same time when I look at you being bold for Jesus. And that was the dynamic in the early church. No one had a non-opinion. Everybody had an opinion. Jesus has this way when you talk about Jesus. Not the same with God. God is a very safe term to use in our culture. Uh, over 90% of the people that you are around even people that you would consider totally non-religious believe in who? God, right? Believe in who? God. They believe in God. When you talk about God, that is not a lightning rod word. Everybody believes in God. Very easy to talk about God. You know what is not so easy to talk about? Jesus. When you say Jesus, people immediately have an opinion. They're either in or they're out. And it's interesting because Jesus actually has a fairly good reputation in our culture. Believe it or not, Jesus has a decent reputation. But it is a lightning rod. Jesus' name is a lightning rod. And we're going to see a story now where this was so true. And in fact, this story, usually people that know stories in the book of Acts, this one they just go right over. They don't even spend time. I'm telling you, this is the story where if things had gone differently, there would not have been a church. This is the story where the church was made. 
After this, the church is going, nothing's going to stop it. But this was a major story. Okay, so we're over in verse 17. And now Satan, he's done his first wave of trying to stop the church. And he's used what to stop the church that we just read about last week? What was the first thing he tries to use? Hypocrisy. Hypocrites, pretenders. And so God raises up a Barnabas who says, oh yeah, I'm not going to be marked by pretenders. I'm going to be marked by encouragers, people that are genuine and authentic, and they live out their faith. And so that one, not that Satan doesn't use that still, but that one sort of goes by. So now the second one's going to hit, and it's going to be persecution. God's, uh, Satan's going to try to stop the church with persecution. And so we read in verse 17, it says, Then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees. Let me talk about the Sadducees for a second. There were two groups of the Jewish leaders, religious leaders. There were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. Good, you guys are right on it. Sadducees and Pharisees. In the New Testament, or in the Gospels, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the bad guys tend to be who? The Pharisees. There is a major switch at this point in the church. It is not the Pharisees. In fact, you're going to see a Pharisee that's a hero in a second. It's the Sadducees. And here's the reason. Christianity has now become a movement and has political overtures. And the Sadducees are political. So all of a sudden, where the Sadducees didn't care that much about Jesus, didn't have political implications, really, just one guy out there, hardly anybody's following him. It's a religious issue. The Pharisees are up in arms. Now the Sadducees take center stage. They become very concerned about what's going on with this movement in Jerusalem. So it says uh, that the Sadducees were filled with jealousy, And the reason was because everyone was following the apostles and the Sadducees weren't being followed anymore. They weren't going to the Sadducees' meetings and to their worship services. And they weren't giving the way they used to give. And so they start to get jealous. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Public jail is important because they are making a public statement. They want the crowds to know that this is being shut down right here and now. So it is a public spectacle. This is going to come back and bite the Sadducees in just a second. But for now, they've got the upper hand. We're making a big deal. They're going into public jail, public arrest. Everybody knows the apostles are behind bars. But, I always love the buts in here, but during the night, an angel of the Lord, God steps in. That's a real angel. That's not just a word for a really good person. It was actually an angel because the doors of the jail uh, went through the doors of the jail and brought them out and then said, go stand in the temple courts, which is where they were before, and tell the people all about the new life, about this new life in Jesus. And so at daybreak, they entered the temple courts just as the sun's coming up. They obey just as they can You know, dawn is is coming up here, and as they've been told, and they began to teach the people. And so here's the deal. They are persecuted again. They're arrested. They can feel that the intensity is getting hotter, and you're going to see a lot of intensity in just a minute. Intensity is getting hotter. They've got a decision to make. Are we going to be bold? Are we going to back off? And they decide, we're leaning in. We're leaning in. If they told us not to teach, we're going to teach. This is not so much defiance. This is more of God's told us to do it. We've got a decision. We've got to decide who we're going to obey. 
and they decide we're obeying God. We're going to do what God said. In verse 21, then, we follow along. It says, so, now this is going to set up sort of a comical scene. So when the high priest and all the associates arrived, it's in the morning, they're going to have this little trial. They're going to bring in all the apostles. They're going to threaten them. They're going to try to get them to shut up. If that doesn't work, they're going to kill them probably. But they are going to make this end today. So they show up. They're in all their regalia. It says, um, the whole Sanhedrin came together. In fact, the full assembly of the elders, this is the only time in the book of Acts that the full assembly of the elders ever came together. They come together because today's the day the church dies. Today's the day that Jesus' followers are gone. That's what's happening today. So you can see that there's some tension being created here because we all know something that they don't know. They go to the jail. The officers go through the doors. They open up the cells. And guess what? No one's there. No one's there. And this is so funny. It's comical because the guards are still standing outside. They're acting like nothing's happened. They're all at their posts. The doors are locked. Just nobody's there. And I'm sure, you know, they go in and they're like, where'd they go? Where are they? And, you know, like one guard saying to the other guard, I thought you were watching them. No, I thought you were watching them. What's going on here? And they go back out and somebody has to go tell the high priest, they're gone. So they go in, and just as the news reaches them that somehow these guys escaped, uh, in verse 25 it says, Then someone came into this assembly of all the elders and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Oh my gosh! The, it, so here's the deal. They make this big public spectacle these guys are arrested. Everybody's going to know it. So what does everybody know the next day? Everybody knows the next day whose side these apostles are on. Somehow, miraculously, they have been rescued from prison. As the Jewish leaders are trying to shut things down, the exact thing they're trying to shut it down with, God uses to say, no, we're opening the doors wide open. Everybody's going to know whose side God's power is on. This is the worst thing that could happen for the religious leaders. They are now in a full-on crisis. Their leadership has been, you know, sort of pushed back. Their authority has been, uh, you know, disregarded, not only by these guys, but it appears by God. Uh, at that, the captain went with the officers to bring in the apostles. But this is so interesting. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. And so they go in. And, you know, these are guys, these are like hardened soldiers. These are guys that, like, stick people with spears and nail, you know, things through people's wrists and put crowns of thorns around people. And, I mean, they're brutally guys. They're, you know, those kind, those guys. They go in. They are so worried about the crowd that they go up to Peter and they go, uh, Peter, listen, um, could you like kind of like maybe arrest yourselves and like come with me like quietly? And it's funny because Peter's like, sure, we'll go with you. And so they take him in 
And now they're standing behind, be in front of the, the, the whole court. And so in verse 27, it says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. It's funny, as he starts, he doesn't say anything about the escape from prison, because that's kind of embarrassing at this point. It says, now, he says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Uh, he said, You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, I find this very interesting. What name can the high priest not say? Jesus, he will not use the J word. So he's like, all right, you're trying to make us guilty of this name, and you're trying to frame us for this man's blood, for this man's murder. Now, this is so funny. This is like the little boy who's standing in front of his mom with chocolate all around his mouth, and he goes, I didn't eat the last brownie. I didn't eat the... It's like, what? What do you mean we're trying to make you guilty of this guy's death? This wasn't like years ago in some far-off country that they had killed Jesus. This is like weeks ago in the same city. Everyone knows that they killed Jesus. Everyone knows. It's like, what? Come on. Come on. This is, we're not making you guilty of anything. It's obvious. You're the ones that killed him. So Peter responds, and he says this, uh, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus. He doesn't have a hard time using the J word. He says, raise Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Now, that's not like a little bit of history. Like It's sort of like, you know, you could have killed him by rolling a boulder on him, or you could have stoned him, or you could have thrown him off the temple. You decided to kill him by a cross. Being killed on a cross was the ultimate way of shaming or cursing someone. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it talks about you curse someone by hanging them on a tree. In other words, what Peter's pointing out is you made your value statement against Jesus, and to you, he was a criminal. To you, he deserved to be cursed. You took your stand. You made your shot. That's what you did. Let's be honest about this. That's history. And you knew full well what you were doing when you killed him in that manner. You weren't just trying to give him a very painful death. You were basically making a statement, this man is cursed. Let's just be honest about that. But then it's interesting. That was what you did. Here's what God did. But God exalted him to his own right hand, in other words, making him a leader, as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. In other words, you made your decision about Jesus, and it was that he should be cursed. God made his decision about Jesus, and he exalted him. And here's the deal. Jesus isn't here to make life miserable for those in Israel. He's here to save them. He's there to bring them life. He's there to bring them hope. He's the Messiah you've been waiting for. Don't you understand? You guys tried to wipe him out. You're continuing to try and wipe him out. This is God's salvation for your nation. Right now, right here. Come on. It says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now listen to their response, because now they've got a decision to make. Are they going to get on board? Are they going to say, you know what? We can't explain how you got out of prison otherwise. 
okay, we're in, we're in, we made mistakes, we're in. That's not what happens. When they heard this, they were furious. That word for furious is only used one other time in the whole New Testament. It is when uh, Stephen, if you know the story, Stephen steps up against the Sanhedrin, makes a very powerful statement. And for those of you that know the book of Acts, what happens to Stephen? He gets killed. He gets killed. So the only other time this word for furious is used, the guys get killed. That is how angry they are at this. They are ready to kill the apostles. They're ready to go for it. They wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee, a Pharisee is going to be a hero in the story named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. So Gamaliel, he is sort of the voice of reason. He's the one that God actually is going to use to stop this from happening. He steps up and he goes, maybe, just maybe we should think this through. Let's just take a moment. Let's count to 10. Let's take three deep breaths. Let's Look at what we should do here, because things are getting out of hand. Then he gives them a little history. He said, some time ago, a guy named Thutis appeared. He claimed to be somebody, and about 400 people, 400 men rallied to him. But then he was killed, and all of his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. We don't know anything about Thutis other than this reference, no reference to him in history. We think that this probably had happened probably 30 or 40 years before. Everyone in the room would have known about Thutis. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember Thutis. For a while, we were really nervous about it. 400 people, they were really zealous. They were going to make all kinds of trouble. And then Thutis got, and everybody just disappeared. No problem. In fact, Rome came in, wiped out Thutis, nothing happened. Then, they, then he says, and then there was, remember Judas the Galilean? Now, this is not the Judas you're thinking of. This is a different Judas. But remember Judas the Galilean? He appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all of his follows, followers were scattered. And so everybody's like, oh, yeah, I remember Judas. I remember that guy. Yeah, and he got a whole bunch of people together during that census. Oh, my gosh, we thought it was a huge problem. We were wondering, should we step in and say something? And all of a sudden, the Roman soldiers came in and... Judas is gone, everybody's dispersed, no problem. And here's the point that he's making. He's saying, listen, we in the past, when something like this has happened, and everyone's got up in arms, and there's a following happening, and the people are rallying and so forth, we have always done the wise thing, which is to step back, let Rome take care of it, because Rome does not want insurrection. Rome, if there's a follower, group of followers, group of people that's going to cause trouble, Rome's going to come in and take care of that for us. So let's just use a little wisdom here. Let's not rush in. Let's not get the people angry with us. Let's not condone them. Let's not, you know, come to their defense because when Rome comes in, they're going to want to know whose side we're on. We're neutral. You know, whatever Rome you want to do with these guys is fine with us. That's sort of the attitude that they have. And it says... Uh, Then he says these words, and this is one of the great statements, uh, really, in the whole New Testament. Great statement made by a non-believer. We we know that uh, Gamaliel never became a follower of Jesus. 
but he pitched it so perfectly. He said this, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if uh, their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Option one, this is coming out of human origin. It's a plan made by people. If that's the case, we've already seen this scenario play out. They'll all somehow get wiped out. Rome will come in, take care of them. This thing will go away. Option two, though. Here's option two. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And so there is this just amazing statement that he makes. And he says, listen, if it's a man, let's back out. Let Rome take care of it. If this is of God, don't you see the irony, guys? We'd be fighting against God. I mean, like we're the religious leaders. We're supposed to be on God's side. We'd be fighting against God. We just need to back out. And we'll see how this plays out. And Gamaliel was good at what he did because it said his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, years ago, we'd hear the word flogged and all of us would think, oh, you know, they, they got, you know, whipped or something. They got, but you guys saw the passion of the Christ, right? We have a whole new idea and whole new understanding of the word flogged, right? Flogged was being whipped by a cat of nine tails, would have three strips, would have all kinds of steel and glass and stuff put into the whips. And the idea is that when somebody was whipped, it wasn't just getting hit with it. Those things would be driven into the flesh, and the flesh would literally be pulled off of the body. To be whipped 39 times meant your body would never look the same. In fact, many people died from being whipped that way. They lined up the apostles. It probably took two hours, maybe longer, three hours, to get through all of them. They would stand there and watch their friends being whipped, knowing that this was coming for them. And for the rest of their lives, they would be branded as a criminal. This happened to criminals. It wasn't only painful. It was in a shame, honor-based society. It was the most shameful thing that could happen to someone. And every time they took off you know, their shirts or their robes to go swimming. Anytime somebody saw their body, they would have immediately said, that is a criminal. That is somebody that was punished for doing something against the law. It was the worst thing that could have happened to them. You know, we, we get this idea that it wasn't a big deal. It was a huge, huge deal. And so lastly, we just want to look. So what's the response? And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It is an amazing thing. Being persecuted before the time of Jesus was never anything that anyone wanted any part of. And Jesus changed all that. The way that he was persecuted, all of a sudden, for those that were zealously following him, they felt like the closest I'll ever get to Jesus, the most I'll ever be like Jesus, is when I'm persecuted the way he was persecuted. 
That's the reason that they rejoiced. They felt like, oh my gosh, we must have passed some kind of test. God must think that we're worthy to, to, to face this kind of persecution the same way that Jesus did. I mean, it's like he picked us out to do the same thing that Jesus did. It is such a different mindset than how we think about persecution. I mean, how I think about persecution, I don't think that way. And yet they, for the rest of their days, they didn't hide their scars. They said, look at this. I was considered worthy to have this kind of abuse thrown on me for the name of Jesus. And what do you think happened to the church? It exploded. People said, I don't even know if I believe it. But these guys believe it to so much to their core. There's got to be something to it. There's got to be something about what this Jesus guy does. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to talk to you for a second about some decisions that you're going to have this week. And I'm going to have this week. Uh, this week, uh, on <laughs> this was so great. So on Tuesday, I'm with the staff. I said, listen, on Friday, I want us to meet down in downtown Huntington Beach. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to have lunch. I'll treat you. And then we're going to go and invite people to come to church. And I'm sure in their minds, it's like, well, who? It's like, I don't know. I mean, we're going to invite people we don't know to come to church. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, we're going to do it. Tuesday's all fine. We get there on Friday. I'm sure they thought that I was bailing on them. I was a half an hour late for lunch. They're like, oh, great, the great leader here. But anyway, I get there, and, and so we, we get it set up. And so we're sitting there. And just so you know, I mean, if that would make you nervous to go up to people you don't know to invite them to church, maybe it doesn't. But if it would, we're like you. That may, just because we get paid by the church doesn't make that like no big deal. We're like, hmm. And so we get done with the end of our meal, and somebody says, well, somebody should probably invite our waitress. I'm like, oh, yeah. That's probably got to be me since I'm like sitting here, and I'm like told everyone we're going to do it. <laughs> and so, you know, like I wade into this thing, and I know that, you know, they watched me in, awkwardly invite our waitress to church, and they're just like, Phew. Wow, what a leader that guy is. Man, Mr. Bold. But anyway, I, got the, I spit out the words. You know, we kind of had a little miscommunication. She thought I was asking her if there was a church around. I said, no, no. I know there's a church around. Like, we're the staff of that church. I'm inviting you to come. So, and then we broke out, and we went off, and we started inviting people. And it was awkward. And you try to figure out, how am I going to start this conversation? And what if they just laugh at me? And I sort of assume they don't like me to start with. They don't like church to start with. They don't like Christians to start with. Am I right or wrong? I'm wrong. Nobody was rude to us. Whether they're going to come or not, everybody said, oh, yeah, I'll be there. You know, I don't know. Maybe some of you are here. I don't know. Most people, I think, you know, are just. But here's the deal. It did not kill us. But there was something to it that was just like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable to just sort of lean into something where it'd be easier not to. And I just want to say, I know God's going to put those kinds of things in your life. And one of them's going to come this way. Something's going to come up, and it's going to be easier to not say something than to say something. This week, it's going to happen. The thing is, you're going to cruise by it. You're not even going to realize that it was an opportunity because you're so used to not responding. 
But I want you to pray, Lord, if something comes up where you want me to speak and to stand for Jesus, give me the boldness to do it. Don't make me just say, I don't need to say anything here. You know what? God's giving you this opportunity. And if you're persecuted a little bit, that's okay. Here's the second thing. You're going to be given an opportunity. And you know why I say that with total conviction? Because I'm giving it to you right now. Okay, so you guys all got this wristband, right? Pull them out. Pull them out right now. Put on the wristband. Okay, this is so fun. All right, so the wristband is, you know, sort of a nondescript wristband. It says spread the love, doesn't even mention Jesus. It's all easy, easy, easy. Okay, so here's the deal. We want you to wear these wristbands this week. We want you to wear these things. And here's what's going to happen. Sometime during the week, somebody's going to say, hey, what's that on your wrist? And you're going to have an opportunity. And so let's just think this through right now. Okay, lame answer. I was given it at church, and they told me I had to wear it. Okay? <laughs> That's lame. That's lame answer. That does not work. Uh, you know, it, it has something to do with spreading love or something like that. Lame answer, okay? That's not, you, you want to seize the opportunity. You want to seize the opportunity. So what would be a better answer when somebody says, hey, what's that on your wrist? Maybe a better answer would be, oh, I'm so glad that you asked me about this. It's the coolest thing. <laughs> did, did you have a better thing to say than me? I, I'm just like, I'm coming up with this as we go. You know, I'm just like coming up with it as we go. I love that. Okay. So, you know, maybe you say something like, you know what? I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. And so for the next two months, I'm going to do things that show the love of Jesus to our community. That's what this is for. It's to remind me that I follow Jesus and I'm going to do stuff in our community to show our community, show people that I love Jesus and I love them. That would be a good answer. That would be a good answer. That, I'll tell you, I mean, people might go, eh, but they'll probably go, oh, really? Tell me about that. I mean, that's, that's a little more intriguing. That's a little more intriguing. You know, this wristband is to remind me to tell you I go to a really cool church and I'd love to have you come with me. That's going to cause for a response. Maybe there will be some persecution. Probably not, but maybe a little persecution. What I'm saying is be prepared, okay? There's an opportunity that is coming your way. Now, some of you are already thinking, well, I couldn't possibly wear this to the business meeting. Yes, you could. You could. You could wear it to the business meeting. I couldn't wear it to the club. Those guys would ridicule me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't wear it when I go home to see my parents. Absolutely not. It's like, come on. Come on. This is going to create an opportunity. Are you going to stand up? Are you going to be bold? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Yes. All right. Are you? Okay. Now listen. If you're like, I'm not in. I'm not in. I don't want to play that game. This guy's manipulating me. I don't even know this guy. He gets worried talking to a waitress. I'm just no way. That's okay. You can leave it behind. You don't need to take this with you. This is for those of you that are saying this week is going to be different. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives me. I'm going to make a difference. 
And if there's some persecution, that's okay. That's okay. All right? So that's what we're doing this week. And I want, here's the deal too. If you get a story, will you tell me? I want to hear your stories. Really, call me up, email me, you know, smoke signals in the sky, whatever it is, let me know. I want to hear your stories about how you stood up and what happened, for good or for bad, how it went. Okay, so you're willing to do that too? You let me know? Okay, stand up for closing prayer. Isn't it great to be a church? Woo, woo. And you know what? We're a church when we're not here too. We're a church when we're out there. That's when we're really the church. That's when we do some major damage. All right, if you need prayer afterwards, there's people out on the sides that would love to pray with you. Um, If you'd like to talk with any of the staff, we'll be out at the tent right after, and we would love to meet you, uh, and uh, you can get your little things. And then next week, uh, Christy Kane, you do not want to miss her. Uh, Everything Lowe said is true. She's incredible. You'll be bummed you missed her next week, so be back next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. For your boldness to us, Jesus, you showed us how to be bold. And because of that, we're here. Because you were willing to be bold, you adopted us. You brought us into God's family. We are so grateful for that. And now we pray, Lord, help us to be bold in your strength, through your Holy Spirit. Help us to be bold this week, to make a stand for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Amen. Go in God's grace.